0: Continuing our series this morning in First Samuel, and truthfully, I haven't been down here, so I don't know what the other people were preaching about leading up to this. So if I like, if it doesn't make perfect sense at the beginning, we'll we'll get there. But okay, so we're this morning in First Samuel chapter thirteen, and just to catch you up real quick on where we're at in this story, this is a you know real story from the Bible. It's not just a fairy tale like this; these events actually transpired, and somebody like recorded them. Um, And so we're at a time in Israel's history where they had just recently started like basically clamoring for a king. They're like, we want a king. And the Lord's like, you don't need a king. You have me. I'm your king, which is still true. Jesus is still our king. (laughs) But they were like, nonetheless, no, we want an earthly king like these other nations have. And so the Lord's good and he was willing to work with his people. And so he decided, all right, I'll give you a king. And so we're in a place now where Saul has just recently been crowned king of Israel. And he rescued some people from a really nasty situation. The people saw that. They saw this courage in him. And they were like, he's our man. And the Lord blesses it. And through this prophet, Samuel, that's who's, I actually don't, did Samuel write Samuel? I don't know. I can't tell you. I, I assume, but maybe not. Anyway, he is, he didn't. Okay, he didn't write it. Anyway, um, <laughs> So through this prophet Samuel, he is Saul's anointed as king, and, um, and so we're kind of at the beginning of his kingship here. Um, Samuel is actually going to die soon, and he just, in the previous chapter, kind of gives his farewell speech to the people. He's basically like, y'all, I've served you as faithfully as I can. Um, Say something if, like, I, I left something on the table. If I did, if I failed you in any way, speak up. And everyone doesn't. It's like it's a moment where he's just kind of giving his last words, you know. And then that leads us into this chapter. Um, and before Samuel departed, he, he he went somewhere for a little bit. He told Saul, "Hey, um, don't offer this burnt offering until I get back. Wait seven days to offer this burnt offering to the Lord." And just to give context to that, what we just did this morning is an offering of praise. And we're able to do this instead of slaying a goat and throwing it on an altar because Jesus became that goat, basically. He became that ram. Once and for all, he paid the price. The blood is paid for. So now our sacrifice gets to be singing and praising and clapping. And Isn't that awesome? Okay, so back but here in this point of the story, the offering is still like to slay an animal and place it on an altar because blood had to be – something had to atone for the sins of the people, Right? And the animal's blood was doing that. Well, Samuel says, hey, don't offer that until I get back. Wait. And so Saul goes on his way, and he's back, and he's doing his thing. And the Philistines, who were a nearby nation, who the Israelites often had issues with, um, they start to—actually, Israel kind of starts it, but things are getting tense and heating up, and there's, like, threat of war. And actually— Here, let's start reading right here. Um, This is where we're at. So 1 Samuel chapter 13, the Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers. I don't know the difference between those two things. And soldiers as numerous as the seashore. So as the writer's seeing it, there was an inordinate amount of soldiers on the Philistine side. Like it was scary. And they went up and they set up camp. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some even crossed the Jordan as far as Gad and Gilead. So the people are running for their lives. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited the seven days. Remember, Samuel said, wait seven days until I come back, and we'll offer this offering together. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come there to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he says, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings, and Saul offered up the burnt offerings. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. Samuel cuts right to the chase. What have you done? asked Samuel. (laughs) Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering, you did not come at the set time, and that the Philistines were assembling, I thought, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gildal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. <laughs> you have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. He wasn't, he's at the end of his life. Like, he's not sparing words. Like, he's going to tell you how it is. You have done, you've acted foolishly. You've not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, you would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure The Lord has sought out and found a man after his own heart and has appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So there's a lot happening in this story. Um, We've got these tensions and Saul is like facing some real tensions of leadership, right? Like his army is faltering. They're hiding in caves. They're crossing the river to hide in other towns. And there's this massive army that is assembling and setting up camp right outside where they are right, and so he's feeling these, like, tensions, like, that are natural in leadership, but what's kind of weird about this story, on first glance, like, what is so wrong about what he did, Um, like, he offers a, a burnt offering, a sacrifice of worship to the Lord, right, it's, like, not like he did something inherently wrong, right, like, why is it, why is it, basically, why is it such a big deal, Like, why why do we have to dig a little bit deeper? Because, like, what is the big deal about what Saul did? He waited his seven days. Samuel didn't come back. The people are losing it. The Philistines are about to attack. We need God's favor if we're going to survive this battle. I'm going to lift this offering. It doesn't seem that crazy, right? So, clearly, there's something happening a little deeper than just he's being reprimanded for bad behavior, right? Something else is going on. And so, I think, really, can you go to the next slide? After the scriptures, I think what this scripture is really dealing with is the fear of the Lord. This is a term that it shows up all over the Bible. It's in Proverbs like a gazillion times. We use it a lot in church. But I think what this scripture is actually dealing with is fear and the fear of the Lord. Um, so the first thing, can you move to the next slide? Okay. Have you heard this term before? Fear is a great motivator. Well, yeah, <laughs> I think you hear it a lot, um, especially like in sports and stuff. Like fear is a great motivator. Who we fear will determine the course of our lives and the condition of our hearts. So, in this passage, let's just think about where Saul might be at. Right, if he's in this position and these people are about to attack and his army's scattering, what what might Saul be afraid of? Can you? It's small enough for him. Call it out. What's that? Failure. failure. He's afraid of failure. Potentially, that's right. What else? Death. 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 Like legit. Yeah. If they attack right now, like we'll we'll probably die. What else? Reputation. Reputation. Yep. And I'll tie to that too. Like losing your throne. Right. You just became king. What happens if you lose this battle? Even if you survive, like the people are already turning on you. They're already leaving and scattering. <laughs> So what we're actually seeing here, guys, is it's not so much like what he did. It's that there's something behind it fueling his activity, right? You can see why he might say, I'm not waiting any longer. I'm going to lift this offering because we need God or we're going to die. Like, it's very clear to see like that there were like things motivating him to do this, right? So fear is a great motivator. And I think like if we honestly think we're not being motivated by some sort of fear, Then, like, we're actually deceiving ourselves. Like, we are all motivated by some sort of fear. And what we're going to get into today is the fear of the Lord. Like, the Lord wants this for our lives. Um, But the flesh, like, naturally, we are going to be motivated by some sort of fear. Like, it's going to happen. And we see it happen with Saul here. Like, Saul walked in some kind of fear of man, right? Fear of his people losing hope and and turning on him, fear of actually dying. Um, And so then Samuel shows up. And Samuel's like, dude, what are you doing? What have you done? And Saul goes, you know, I, I, I decided you waited. He gives all these reasons. Well, I waited the seven days, and the Philistines are about to attack, and you didn't show up, by the way. So I thought it was right to go ahead and lift the offering. Like, Saul justifies his actions, and I think we can find ourselves in that too. We'll always find a good reason for anything that we feel compelled to do. That's what he said. I felt compelled to lift this offering. We'll always find good reasons for it. Um, But what is actually compelling us, guys, makes all the difference between decisions that lead to life and decisions that lead to death. Like what it is that is actually compelling us. Because something, someone is compelling us. So Samuel tells Saul the truth. He acted foolishly. Um, And you know what this made me think of? There's a scripture. you probably all heard it. Proverbs 9.10. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And this knowledge, well, I'll get into that later, but this knowledge isn't just like a, I know the words. This is like the first hand I know you like a bride knows her bridegroom. like, this is like an intimate know. So not knowing intimately the Holy One is understanding. So I think it's important just like, before I kind of go into like the deeper, to really like decipher the difference here. Like the fear of the Lord is actually, can you go to the next slide? The fear of the Lord is like, it builds a foundation of wisdom. And the fear of man builds a foundation of foolishness. It's pretty clear to see what Saul was walking in in this moment, right? Because Samuel straight up says it. You acted foolishly. You were the antithesis of this. Your decision was the opposite of wisdom. Even though it might have seemed like it made sense in the moment, it was the opposite of this. It was actually this. And like we're saying, it wasn't the fact that he offered sacrifice because the Lord wanted that. That was a requirement from the Lord to offer sacrifice. It wasn't the offering; it was what was actually compelling him to do it that was foolish and was like wrong, basically. Um, so we're talking about building a foundation. Like we are guys, we're going to build a foundation on one of these two things. Uh, remember the parable that Jesus gave about the house that was built on the sand and the house that was built on the solid rock. And what happens? The wind and this waves and the storm comes, and that house that's built on sand. It comes down, right? Because there's no foundation. But the house that was built on the rock, it stands firm. This is what we're talking about here. It is actually the fear of the Lord that built a foundation for our lives. And if it's not Him, then it's a fear of something else that built a foundation. And like I said at the beginning, fear can be an awful great motivator. You can get pretty far in life off a faulty foundation. Actually, lots of good decisions come from a wrong place, but they don't yield good fruit doesn't seem like it was a bad idea to go to head with the offerings. In fact, he had himself pretty convinced that that was the right idea. (laughs) His people were terrified and the Philistines were closing in like it was time to offer this thing. So, and this is what takes it even deeper. What he was doing was an act of worship. So you're telling me that I can actually lift an offering of worship from a place that's compelled by fear and not by like the Lord? I don't even have like a solid point on that, but that's something to think about. Like, like I can offer, I can not even just doing things. I can offer worship motivated from a place that isn't from the Lord. Actually, I do kind of have a point. You the next one? <laughs> Any offering of worship that is motivated by fear, motivated by fear is just manipulation. Yeah. This is what Saul was doing. At first face, it seems like, well, the dude was just lifting, lifting an offering of, of praise. He was worshiping the Lord. This is what he was doing. He said, I don't have God's favor. I need it. So let me offer this burnt offering so that I can get it. That's manipulation, y'all. And we do this. We do this. Any reason for me to come to the altar, which again, this morning, what we are doing, we don't have to like kneel at an altar. Like This is the altar. We're in the presence of God. He's here, right? Any reason for me to come and do that other than like the fear of the Lord is just manipulation. I'm trying to get something from you. And thankfully, his grace covers that. I don't even think he hates that when that happens because we're humans. Like, I have done that. We have all done that. It's okay. But it is good to know that there is a difference, that it is actually possible to lift up worship, and it's actually coming from a place of I'm actually trying to manipulate you into doing something that I need for my life. And this is what Saul is straight up doing. But when Samuel comes and confronts him, he's trying to play it off like, oh, like I wanted God's favor, and I, I, this needed to happen, and you didn't show up. now." He was scared to death that he was going to die or lose his throne. And so he did this offering thinking, if I do it, God's favor will come and he'll save us. And it was outside of what the Lord was calling him to do, which in that moment clearly was to wait and trust, right? That The worship in the moment was to wait and trust, not lift the burnt offering. That's a word too, because sometimes he's not calling us to do the worshipful thing. He's calling us to just wait and trust. And my waiting and my trusting is my way of saying, yes, Lord. Right, Worship is surrender, not manipulation. So we got all this happening here right now, like in this moment, all this deeper stuff is going on. So just a quick application on that is like, like I can, I can build a whole ministry like compelled from the wrong place, from the same place that bought us, Paul, Saul burned those animals on the altar. I can build a whole ministry. I'm a worship leader. I could build a whole thing in the name of the Lord. You could build a whole missional outpost. Like we're in the middle of this apostolic missional movement. You could build a whole thing that serves the poor and gives a voice to the voiceless. doesn't mean there won't be any fruit from it. Like I said, you can get an awful long way in life compelled by the wrong thing. But at the end of the day, if it's not compelled from the fear of the Lord, it really isn't worship to him. And he makes it clear time and time and time again in the word, it isn't about the action. He told the Pharisees that, right? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. They were obsessed with, they were still doing the same thing, lifting up the sacrifice, but their hearts were compelled by something else. And he's like, if that's where you're at, forget the offering. I don't even want it. I just want mercy. Desire the things that are on my heart. So we can do all the things, guys, but like, totally be missing out on the point. <laughs> and um, But the good news is, is that, like, that's not what the Lord has for us. Um. We want anything that we build to be built on that firm foundation, right? Not on the sand. We want to build this thing on the rock so that it can stay. And when the wind and the waves come, those things control our hearts and our thing is built on that foundy, faulty foundation, then it is going to fall. Um, or it'll, at the very least, it's not going to be anything like what it could have been. But if Jesus is the sole captivation of my heart... My house is built on his solid foundation. Then I'll stand firm. This is the fear of the Lord. Our eyes, our hearts are after the one with fire in his eyes, guys. And, um, you know, this made me think of Peter. Remember Peter? Jesus is walking on the water and he's like, it's crazy. He's literally walking on the water in the middle of a storm. So the waves are kind of crazy. Peter sees him and jumps out of the boat to go head toward him, right? And when he's looking at Jesus, he's walking on water too. He is walking upon the water. (laughs) Like that is insane. Looking at Jesus, looking at the man with fire in his eyes. And then what happens? Like the waves start to get his attention, right? And he looks left and right. And like everything in his heart in that moment just shifts from the warm of fire in his eyes to the stuff around me. And it, be, it goes from, like, I'm heading towards Jesus. It wasn't even about the water, guys. It, I'm, I'm walking to the one that I love to, oh, frick, i got to, like, figure <laughs> out how to not drown. That's what he was compelled by in that moment. How do I stay up? Jesus was holding him up. Now it's how do I stay up? How do I stay up? And he sinks, right? And Jesus obviously saves him. But that's what happened. Peter, like, his eyes got off of Jesus, When crisis comes guys and it does come crisis comes when when it comes we're either found looking At the womb of fire in his eyes or we're found looking at the things around us. And y'all, if you are looking at the things, and we all have it, right? Nobody gets to this life without suffering, without pain, without loss, without confusion. If we are found looking at those things, the Lord loves us. But y'all, we will be compelled to act out of what we are seeing. We only get to walk in the fear of the Lord when my eyes are fixed on him. Again, pulling it back to this morning, that's what we were doing. We're looking at him. We're beholding him. We're singing our song to him. Like we are, it says, fix your eyes on Jesus. That's not some ritual. It's like coming back to his presence and looking at him. That's it. He's a person. It's looking at him like you look at another person. And rebuking Saul, Samuel prophesied that the Lord has sought and found one after his own heart. So Saul had just become king. And actually, he serves his king for a long time after that. The first chapter of this verse says he served this king for 47 years. So what Samuel's saying here, in saying that the Lord has already sought and found another king after his own heart, is a prophecy that wouldn't be fulfilled for a long time. And we're going to eventually see that at the end of this series um, with David, who I mentioned earlier. Um, and that, this is where David enters the picture for us. So if Saul is a picture of what the fear of man looks like, Then David is a picture of what the fear of the Lord looks like, and 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 if you want to know a definition, I've actually been thinking about this recently. What is a good definition for the fear of the Lord? I think Samuel gives it to us right here. The Lord has sought and found one after His own heart. That's it. That is the fear of the Lord. Like the word fear is honestly kind of weird in this phrase because we are so used to referring to or relating to fear in a negative way. Right? Who wants to be afraid of the dark? Who wants to be afraid of dying? Who wants to be afraid of sickness? Who wants to be afraid of losing your job and not having enough money to support your family? Like all of that is extremely negative. It's real, but it's negative, right? But there is actually space for fear to be the foundation of our life in an extremely healthy and joy-giving way. And Samuel gives it away right here. It's to be one after the Lord's own heart. Something in that turns fear from this to this. Like it turns it from darkness to light. It's not being afraid. It's actually like the fullness of security of the love of God. (laughs) We're going to get into that in a minute here. Um, Can you go to that next slide? Yeah, this is the fear of the Lord, to be one after his heart. David, we're not going through him in this whole series in depth, but David did all these wild things for the Lord. But the one thing he had to hold out for the Lord at the end of his life was this. Like, I was one after your heart. This is all the Lord's after, guys. If he has a hold of our heart... Yeah, he will do things through us. And he will build things through us. And he will use us on mission. And he will, like, we were just talking about that. He doesn't use us. He does it with us. He will partner with us on mission. But this is what he's actually after. Please be one after my own heart. Um, And David got that clearly. He got that. At some point, way before he ever became king, the Lord identified him as one who is after his own heart. And so I just want to say that holy fear, like unholy fear, is the things that we're afraid of happening, right? Holy fear is rooted in love. It's almost like the fear of the Lord could be called the love of the Lord. The fear and the love are like, like directly tied there. They are part of his nature. The, lo- the fear of the Lord is rooted in love. Can you go to that next slide? Okay. Fear of man is rooted in what we don't have yet and what can be taken away from us. Okay. Can you call, call out some things you might be afraid of? The dark. Okay. What could happen in the dark, though? Everything. <laughs> okay, everything. <laughs> in the dark. In the dark. Though, you don't feel like you have security, right? And something could be taken away from you. Your whole life could be taken away from you. A monster comes out of the closet, right? right? And those covers are going to save you, right? What else? What's something else that you might be afraid of, like naturally in life? Heights. I'm afraid of heights too. Okay. So what I don't feel like I have is security that I'm not going to fall. Right, and fall means death. Right, so my life can be taken away from me. Again, I'm afraid You're of heights. Terrible at like convincing us that our peers are a good <laughs> Well, okay, okay. That's the point though. That's the point. That's that's actually really good. So when Peter's eyes are on Jesus in the water, he is not afraid of sinking because he's looking at the one who gives life. His life is in that person. His life is not in whether or not I stay standing on the water. I can sink, but if I don't lose his eyes, I'm good. That is being rooted in love. That's the fear of the Lord. But we all feel that, right? If I don't have that then I am naturally, like, going to try, like, what I'm trying, it's survival, right? Fear is about survival. If it's not about the love of God, it's about survival, ultimately. Right? So that's why I'm afraid of heights. I'm, like, as much as I can at this moment, I'm convinced of of the love of God. But also, I'm not trying to fall off this Ferris wheel, so... And it's not like we can just snap our fingers and those things disappear. It's after a posture of the heart. I want my life to be built on a foundation of love, right? That even if I do fall off that Ferris wheel and I die... I'm not going to lose the moment fire in his eyes because my life goes far beyond this world. You know what I'm saying? It's 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 easier to say than do, but it's true. This body of mine is going to decay. We're talking about the basketball. I'm already feeling fat and slow. Like I can't do nothing. And like my body's already breaking down. This is just for a moment, but my soul is going on beyond this and I can fall off uh, a Ferris wheel. <laughs> And die a horrible death But I don't lose I honestly don't lose anything, do I? Yeah, but I gain it in Jesus So like I know what you're saying Like, what you're, You are speaking to all of our conscience in the room That is what we feel The reality is something a little deeper is going on Right? Saul didn't have to offer that offering in the moment What could possibly happen That was going to separate him from the love of God? And so, the fear of man is rooted in what we don't have and what can be taken away from us. The fear of the Lord is rooted in what we already have and what can never be taken away from us. I already have the fullness of his love, the fullness of his acceptance, his forgiveness. I have the fullness of his protection. And you know what? Even if his body decays and I die, I am never going to die. Like, I'm going to live forever with him. I have his security of eternal life with him. The one, like everyone else in the world, could turn on me. I could say the most—I don't know—accidental weirdest thing in this room, and like everyone in this room could be like, "Oh, Jake's weird." I could, lose, I could lose the favor of every person in this room, but the reality is, I'm not losing the favor of the Lord. Okay. Like I already have it, and nothing—none of that can be taken away. Paul goes into great lengths to talk about this, like. What can separate us from the love of God? Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor powers, nor worries about yesterday or fears about today. Not even death itself. It there's no hunger, no famine, no sickness, nothing can separate me from the love of God. That is the fear of the Lord. I don't have to chase these things. I don't have to keep myself alive. Therefore, I'm freed up to be a man after his own heart. That's what he's after in us. To be a man after his own heart. To look at the man with fire in his eyes and not like look to the left or the right. And even when we look for a second to get back to his eyes. That's why we come back to these spaces. That's why we are a people, a movement of prayer and worship. He's glorified in it and he's most glorified when my eyes are on him. So this is what it is. We're rooted in what we already have and what can never be taken away from us. And if you don't have this in this moment, it is available to every person. This is what Jesus did like, when he went to the cross, this is what he was purchasing for us. This is full assurance that we are his and there is nothing that can take that away from me. Like, imagine the worst thing that, could, that you think could ever happen to you. Like, this can, this can be especially intense if, like, you've experienced, like, situations that have, like, an abusive nature to them or something really horrific has happened. Like, it can go to a dark place. Like, what is the worst thing that could happen to me? And ultimately, I can get to a place that says, even if that were to happen again, it can't take away what I already have. And I already have everything I need. And so maybe that's for, like, later to, to wrestle with. But, like, that is our reality. That is the fullness Of the fear of the Lord. So, in closing, this is my application for the day. Like, what was it about David that allowed the fear of the Lord to take root in his heart, kind of as opposed to Saul? Like, I feel like the point of the story of Saul here is to contrast this to the point to the story of David who points us to Jesus. So, whatever was missing in Saul here, what was it like? How was it that David allowed that fear of the Lord to take root in his heart? What was it? What did he do? Because there is no nine step model. For living in the fear of the Lord. If I try to give you that, don't listen to me. I'm full of it. Okay? This is it. David was a man after the presence of God, he was a man after God's heart. Uh, remember back when I said, I talked about Proverbs 9? It says that wisdom, the foundation, I'm sorry, fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom, and the knowledge of Him is understanding. Like knowing him, like I said, that word knowledge actually means this intimate relationship like you would in a marriage. Knowing him, that is understanding. That is wisdom. That is the foundation. And that's what David had. Like if David had nothing else as a shepherd boy out in those fields, he had like oneness with the Lord. He knew him. And that's where that fear of the Lord like took up, uh, like gripped his heart. And that's where the foundation began to build. Years and years and years and years before the man ever became king of Israel that had taken root in him. Okay, can you go to the next slide? The fear of the Lord becomes our greatest reality, when His presence becomes our highest priority. Mm -hmm. This is it. It's not about doing the next great thing for the Lord. It's just about, like, I want to get to a place where being with Him, being known by Him, knowing Him, that's my highest priority. When I have that, then the fear of the Lord begins to, like take root in my heart I become more convinced of his love more convinced that I am who I am in him and that he is good that spirit of praise that we experienced this morning like I'm telling you that is just a glimpse that's just a taste of what we're going to experience someday like we can live from that place we actually like acted out the sermon in some ways this morning like we came in you might have come in and been like, man, this was a hard last week. I did not feel close to the Lord at all. Maybe you came in already on fire. Either way, we came, we put him in the center, like David did in his tabernacle, like he's at the center of his stone in heaven. And we spent time looking at him and singing to him and being with him. He f- fixing our eyes on the man with fire in his eyes. Right? And even in the places where we might have been looking in the left and the right, like Peter over this last week, we look back at Jesus. And that foundation is secured again. Like that's what we actually did this morning. That is how we grow the fear of the Lord. We prioritize His presence above everything. And, it, and when it does, the fear of the Lord becomes our greatest reality. There is nothing else, guys. Like at the end, all this is going to burn. All this is going away. Everything we build missionally for the Lord, it does serve a purpose now, and it feeds the hungry, right? And it clothes the clothless. It does those things, but all of it's going to burn. This network that we're part of, it's going to burn, 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 burn. <laughs> the only reality. Him, when he comes back on, you know, trumpet sound coming through the clouds. You know, old song. Behold, he comes riding on a cloud. When he comes back, he is the reality. Amen. And he's looking for people whose hearts are turned to him. The fear of the Lord is what we can hold out before him. Like I didn't do it perfect. It's not about doing perfect. That's not it. It's His grace in my life. But Lord, like I like. I made your presence as best I could. You're at my highest priority. Like, that is what will hold out before him. Not, I built this thing, Lord, and all these people came to Jesus, and all these people were fed. He loves that stuff, and he is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. But those are not the things that we're going to carry with us into eternity. It's this heart, the fear of the Lord that we're taking with us. It's this relationship of love that we have with him that we are taking into eternity. What we did this morning, we can take that into eternity. Forgive us, Lord, for all the times we've tried to build things to, like, make praise good enough. We had one singer, highly gifted singer, but still, one singer, one keyboard player, and a room of, we're all goofy people. Like, this was the spirit of praise. We didn't need no band. We didn't need no lights. And there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. I love playing with a band. But that spirit of praise rested in here this morning. Like, that's, we're actually going to take that with us to heaven. And whatever small amount of joy we got from this morning, whether it was new for you or old, like it's going to be vast, vast, vast in heaven. Like we are going to be lost in joy, lost in this like fear of the Lord that we're talking about. Um, it's just that when we're looking at Saul's story, like for whatever reason, Saul forgot about his presence. So, you know, the first thing David does as king is he goes and he gets this Ark of the Covenant, which is literally just hanging out in a shed somewhere. It was abandoned. Like, that was the first thing he did. That was his vision statement for his rule as Israel. We're going to get the Ark, like God's presence, for it was forgotten in the days of Saul, is what David said. The presence was just forgotten. Anyone ever forget the presence of God? Forget about it? You start looking to the left and the right, or you're caught up in what you're doing, and you forget about the presence of God? That's what happened. It happens in all of us. But what David said was, we're going to get that thing. That's the first thing we're doing. We're getting the presence and we're putting in the center of this whole thing. Anything I build as king will be built around the center of the presence of God. It was forgotten in the days of Saul. So Saul forgot about it, but David was centered on it. The Lord, guys, the Lord is making us into a people after his own heart. This is what he is doing in us. This is what he is building in us. When he talks about the kingdom being built, this is what he's doing in us. He is making his bride a people after his own heart. And that means that he's making us into a people of his presence. That's why I was so encouraged by this morning. Because it's so clear that is what he's doing. He's making us a people of his presence. Like we're saying, wherever we're going in the future here is a tab. We don't have all the details, but that is ultimately where we are going. He is making us a people of his presence, a people after his own heart, a people whose foundation is firmly built on the rock. Eyes fixed on the man with fire in his eyes. What time is it? Okay, good. So a little bit of time. Okay, so I didn't know what time it was. Um. All right, anyone know the story, familiar with the story of Mary and Martha? Actually, there's multiple stories encountered with Mary and Martha. So I'm just going to tell them to you instead of reading them. Mary and Martha were close friends of Jesus. They were sisters. And in Jesus' three, three years um, time of ministry on earth, there's two different stories uh, uh, registered, like in the Gospels, about these two. There's more that happens, but these two, specifically dealing with them, And I think that they actually paint the perfect picture for what the Lord's after. So Jesus is the first story. Jesus comes over to their house just for dinner and there's stuff to do, right? Dinner to be made and whatever. Well, Mary is just actually sitting at Jesus' feet, hanging out with him, like just just being with him, right? Martha, it doesn't even say we were just talking about this this week. It doesn't say she was necessarily cooking or doing anything. But for some reason, she's kind of triggered that Mary's just sitting at the feet of Jesus, not doing anything. And she's like, Lord, basically, like, Jesus, can you make her help me do stuff? Can you make her do something? And this is Jesus' response. He's like, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing, only one thing matters, and Mary's found it. She's chosen the better thing. That's what he says. And so, guys, like, we can build the same ministries. We can do the same things for the Lord. We can live the same life from the posture of Mary, and we can live it from the posture of Martha, like anxious and troubled, yeah, I can build a pretty good, I can build a pretty good thing out of like driven, uh, what's the word? Compelled by anxiousness and troubleness. Like I can, I can rely on that. I can feed off that, dude. I can feed off of that anxiousness to get a lot of things done. Anyone ever like felt that before? But Jesus he literally isn't like, oh Mary chose a good thing and you chose a pretty good thing. He's like, no, what you're doing is wrong. You are like you are compelled right now by your anxiousness and your troubledness. And Mary isn't. She's sitting at my feet being look like I said looking at the man with fire in his eyes. Same deal with Peter. Anxiousness and trouble versus sitting at his feet, eyes on the waves around us or our eyes on him. We haven't been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and power and a sound mind. You ever heard that scripture? That's our birthright. If you follow Jesus, that is your birthright. You do not have a spirit of fear of anything else. Fear of no other higher power, no fear of no demons, no fear of man. Uh uh-uh. You have been given a spirit of love and power and a sound mind. And his presence is where we walk into that reality. It's already ours, but I I, I believe it. I see it more and more the more I am with this one with fire in his eyes. Okay, so this is just my question in closing. In this moment, in this season of your life, who is compelling you? What is compelling you? You know, you might be in a season that feels a lot like Saul's. Maybe you're in a position of leadership or not. But all it feels like is that stuff is closing in on you. Those Philistines, they're closing in on you fast. You know, like they're about to strike. Things look bleak. I don't have enough money. I don't have a job. I don't, my family member's sick. I don't know what I'm doing with my kids anymore. Like there are plenty of scenarios we can draw up that are like, I'm at the end of my rope. You know, like Peter, those waves are closing in and I'm starting to sink. So who is compelling you in this moment? That is the question because Peter proved I can walk on water in the middle of a raging storm and I can walk and not sink and look like and have like fullness of confidence of where I'm going and who I'm with if my eyes are fixed on him we want his love to compel us to compel us to this place of praise and worship like we experienced this morning, to compel us to love others and to compel us into action on mission like we want his love to be at the root.